we taking a shot up in the tailgate yep. lot yep. with a stadium view. Woo! What a great spot. Damn it, I've been waiting all week. Counting down the days till I'm back in my seat. Till I'm back in my seat. Back on the boulevard, Monday, March 6th. As always, here to prove to you, there is no such thing as football season. And for the third straight Monday, a victory Monday for Matty Fresh and the D.C. Defenders. And while like a complete narcissist, of course, I'm always happy for me, myself, and I. I'm even happier for somebody else today. And that is the director and the owner of the humble abode we call Studio Z, Chris Zook, off the schneid, the Seattle Sea Dragons in the win column. We got one. Seattle's strong, baby. And it looked good. It was close for a while there, but the offense dropped 500-plus yards, and that's what we thought would happen. That's why I bet Seattle, I just wish you could have rode with me. At least you had them in your picks, though, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Maybe that's why they won, because you dropped the best bet. Maybe it was you. Maybe you were the jinx. I'm not betting on them. I told you that last week. They won. Don't yeah. That could have been it, and you do have Mikey Manziel to thank. Yet again, remember that game was twenty to nine, and he tweets, "Great football, Vegas, let's go!" Literally, as he tweets it, I'm like, "Okay, what what could go wrong?" Twenty one to six, Seattle outscores Vegas, and the Vipers find a way to lose again in front of that snake pit. And of course, Mikey wasn't there to witness it. Um, But we do have man to man with Mikey Manziel coming up tomorrow. We gave him a little bit more time to kind of ruminate and marinate in that loss. You know, this is three straight losses for Mikey. So tomorrow you will see his segment on the Matty Fresh YouTube channel here on Spring Ball Boulevard. But we wanted to give Mike a minute to collect himself after this one. And we've been pretty tough on him. But, you know, we might have to get a sea dragon on the show for you, Zook, on Thursday. That might be your reward. I might have to find you a player that we can talk to. Maybe Josh Gordon, Sharif Miller, a Penn State guy. There's a lot of good options, so. Uh, big game coming up against the Brahmas in primetime, so that'll be fun to watch. And, of course, on tonight's show, we're going to get into a lot of XFL stuff. We had four fantastic finishes. What a weekend for XFL football. We're going to deep dive into each one of them. And if you like late-game drama, man, you had a great time this weekend. I said Sunday triple header was going to deliver and came right down to the wire each one of those games. Uh, A.J. McCarron's call to action. What did the quarterback for St. Louis tell us? After his game, when they went out and battled to the very end like they always do and came up short, AJ had some thoughts. We're going to get into our reactions and maybe what some of you guys thought about that. The Power Poll, new addition to that, ranking XFL teams one through eight. We've gotten some flack on that one. And again, a lot of shifting around in the middle. So there's going to be things that you guys debate on Twitter and you know talk about it in the chat, whatever you do. One through eight, we're going to rank teams in the order in which we think they're best. And we have the week four early lines to pull up and give for you guys, kind of skim through them. We know it's early, but some teams already taking some money. Of course, like and subscribe to the channel. We're going to do these shows Mondays and Thursdays at 8 o'clock throughout the XFL season. Uh, the engagement's been good so far. We have a lot of entries in our uh, PS5 Pick'em Contest. Another three of you tailing us, Zook and I, four for four again this week. 
you guys got an entry. I think we're up to about 13 total entries through three weeks for that PS5. We'll give that away in May. Again, a four for four week gets you an entry. We'll draw them randomly at the end of the year. You can get more than one entry, so make sure you pick every week. That'll go up Thursday in the link in the description. So for the XFL standings, uh, both divisions looking eerily similar here as far as how the teams are stacked. And I guess when you have an eight-team league, this is bound to happen. Uh, If you're joining us on podcast, D.C. in first place, sole possession of first place in the north at 3-0. St. Louis falls to 2-1. Seattle in the win column at 1-2. And And Vegas still looking for that first win at 0-3. In the south, very similar. Houston, 3-0. Arlington, 2-1. San Antonio at 1-2. And And the Orlando Guardians, although they looked better and they only lost by one, still in the basement of the XFL South at 0-3. So that is your standings. Let's show you how they got there. As always, the Seattle Sea Dragons, we mentioned it in the tease of the show, they stopped the skid and get over the Vegas Vipers in a game that sailed over. What a thriller in Cashman Field on Saturday night. This was XFL North primetime. And if any of you watch college football final, you know that Joey Galloway and Matt Barry Great crew, super entertaining together, as always. They might be my favorite XFL crew. I love Tom Luganbill and what he does, but between Matt Barry and Joey Galloway, really entertaining broadcast. Good job to those guys. And and as soon as Galloway said, this wind is crazy, I think I'm going to take the under. You knew this was going to sail over. (laughs) If you've seen uh, some of his plays on college football final, him and Barry always go back and forth. But, uh, man, this number opened at Seattle minus three. And I pounced on that like a Ben DiNucci fumble at Audi Field. I was all over the Sea Dragons because I knew this number was going to climb. And it did. It closed at four. And that's very significant to some of you. Don't wait on these numbers. You got to jump on them because the value will decrease throughout the week, especially on some of these favorites. These books are starting to catch up on the key numbers. So long story short, we cover minus three because after Ben DiNucci hits green on that beautiful corner route. Ben DiNucci runs off the field and he holds up two fingers. And that was not going to get through to June Jones. I'm sure he appreciates his quarterback's input, Zook. But Ben DiNucci running off the field holding two fingers up means squat to June Jones because he's going for three every single time. You should know your boss better than that by now, Ben. Come on. So June Jones ends up going for three. He goes for three like Mikey Manziel loses bets just all the time. And it hit me. If we get this three-point conversion, I'm supposed to be rooting for my team here, right? But it's a conflict of interest in my bet. If we get the three-point conversion, we can't cover. It's over. Seattle wins. Write it off. Or Vegas ends up winning outright if they drive down the field and score. So I'm really rooting for them not to get the three. And they don't, of course. They've only converted on two this season. All the touchdowns they've scored. uh, Only two three-point conversions so if anyone was in my corner there whether you had three or three and a half or four you were sweating this one out down the stretch Seattle gets the ball back the rest was history Josh Gordon might have had a little bit to do with us covering so thank you Josh appreciate that um I keep seeing that Ben DiNucci post play audio circulating Zook we were listening to it before the show uh if you're watching the broadcast you know Brett Hundley was doing this the entire game the high-pitched squeak laugh. Every He scored a touchdown on a little run. He did it. He completed a pass to Jeff Bidette. He did it. So I know what Ben DiNucci was doing here. He was hearing Brett Hundley running up and down the sidelines the whole game doing that 
And he, he was like, I'm going to fire it up as soon as I throw this game-winning touchdown. And he did, and it was funny, and that clip went viral. Um, many of the edits kind of censored Ben DiNucci when I, when I re-watched it. Let's not censor the guy. Let's let it fly. It's the XFL. We want to hear what we heard live, even in the highlight clips. So I said after week one that I thought Houston actually had the best skill position, guys. But I think it's now a tie for first with Seattle after watching them. And they have a better quarterback. So if you have a tailback in Morgan Ellison, who might as well be the XFL's Derrick Henry, and you add in Josh Gordon and Jacor Pearson, who may as well be like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, the way that they're out there complimenting each other. You add a guy like Blake Jackson in there. You throw in the offensive line staying consistent and keeping Danucci upright, only one sack for Vegas on Saturday night. Vic Beasley did get home once on that opening drive. Same way they did to D.C., Vegas forced that turnover on the first drive. Thought it might have been a forward pass there, but they roll it a fumble. You're thinking, here you go again, Ben DiNucci leading the league in fumbles. That one was tough, but his offensive line did a better job down the stretch. Um, I can tell you, Zook, that the Seattle Sea Dragons are going to be trending up in our poll, regardless of being one and two, because I was very impressed with what I saw from them on Saturday night. So what about Vegas? Where do you turn if you're the O and three Vipers? Well, your playmakers made plays. Uh, Jeff Bidette. Another great game. He balled out. Martavis Bryant looked in sync with Brett Hundley. We had that play which Joey Galloway just brilliantly broke down where Hundley made the hand signal on the two-pointer, and Bryant knew what to run right away. So they looked more in sync than maybe Bryant and Perez did in weeks prior. Uh, Matthew Sexton made a huge play. Sin Q Sweeting was out there, a threat in the return game. And our guy, Penn State, John Lovett, they hit him on a wheel route, the same play that they ran against D.C., and it went for a long gain. This time, he turned it into a touchdown because he had dry grass to cut back on. And he didn't slip over and, and go out of bounds. So, John Lovett, a long touchdown that he probably thought put the game away. But the defense was just not able to hold. Um, they even had, I mean, their kicker, who's had all kind of trouble. He made both of his field goals. Knocked them right through, even in the wind. And, you know, I just, I'll say it again. Vegas cannot inside run block for the life of them. They just can't seem to generate a power run game. And they got a big back, Rod Smith. But Brett Hundley's not going to be able to be Lamar Jackson out there. He can't be leading the team in rushing. Uh, we do have a Best of the Boulevard nominee for this one, and it's actually not a player from either side. It is Eddie Garcia. Eddie Garcia was the red hat. And if you don't know how the XFL officiating works, the red hat is the official dedicated solely to spotting the ball. That's all he does. And Eddie Garcia was called on by Dean Blandino, actually, I think, in the, boot, in the, in the Van Noy's control, uh, control center. He said, ball spotter is going to be the placeholder. So, Eddie Garcia, you are everything great about the XFL. Holding that ball down for us, keeping it out of the wind. Uh, Eberly was able to boot it deep. Just not something you see. Usually it'd be a player. This time they get an official. Eddie Garcia wanted to shout you out doubling as a holder uh, with the 50-mile-an-hour winds that were swirling around in Vegas. So that's Seattle and Vegas. Really tough one if you had four because you push, but I guess it's better than losing. Uh, I'm sure you didn't really know what to root for down the stretch, but 
Got to get these numbers early. We get it at three. We end up cashing by the skin of our teeth. But what a game on Saturday night. And guys, we rolled right into Sunday, and it got even better. You thought all the fireworks you saw on Saturday night were going to be enough to satisfy you this weekend? We had a great game to kick off Sunday, and good luck telling those Audi Field faithful that it's not football season. They don't want to hear it. Not them. These are passionate fans, passionate fans that are starved for football because of what Dan Snyder has done to them with his Washington football team. Really passionate fans. And we did bring the tour home this week, and what a week it was for it. DC 3-0, also 3-0 against the spread, which is very important. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Remember that. But yeah, there was something different in the air yesterday. In my previous two stops, I had a great time in Arlington week one and Vegas week two, but I don't know. These fans just know how to create this big game atmosphere, and it's the way that stadium is just kind of right on top of you. The crowd noise is incredible, and and you know there were beer snake cups flying through the air. Of course, we knew that would probably happen. You can't give an entire section of fans the ability to run the beer snake back and inspect that after the game they're just going to all take their cup to the recycling bin. I mean. We'll, we'll learn. We'll get better as the year goes on. But, yeah, the Cups were flying through the air. Um, but, again, contributed to that big game feel and, and that, that gritty crowd and that home field advantage that D.C. provides. Um, I don't think that there's anything that can rival kind of that collective chorus of football fans when, you know, the opposing team is on offense and you're trying to get a false start, or even after the big touchdowns, like when Michael Joseph had the pick six. A lot of you who watch sports during COVID in 2020 know that the artificial crowd noise, it wasn't fooling anybody. We just weren't buying it. So to hear this crowd loud and energetic the entire time, it was refreshing. Um, and, you know, if you watch the, the security down on the field, it seems like there was a hundred times the presence at either of the stops that I've been to and a very tight ship, the XFL was running. They made sure everybody was where they were supposed to be. They did a good job at that. Uh, in week one, like I said, we were inches from the rock as he came on the field. We were part of the media scrum. We got to ask some questions. Uh, this time they didn't even want us on the field. Like I said, everybody was where they were supposed to be. And it, it just, it's like that DC atmosphere just on a whole different level. So a lot going on, too much going on, I guess, for uh, the suits to allow us on the field. But bringing back the snake, you know, a lot of those people probably figured this could come back to bite us. We'll see what happens going forward. I think it was the right call. You got to do that. It contributed to DC having 4,000 more people there than they had in week one. It was a huge crowd. Um, so 16,212 actually was the official attendance. And between DC and St. Louis, we continue to see these two fan bases uh, carrying the league. And we'll get to a little later, but Houston, just they're a great team, but just kind of not living up to like the D.C. and St. Louis standard when it comes to their numbers. And, you know, they may have to build some things there, but, you know, they keep winning, but their attendance keeps falling. So you wonder with the attendance trends how this will end up working. Um Houston was down about 400, which is an interesting number. We'll get into all that later. Uh, so thank you to all the people for the DC defenders for the warm welcome that you had. Um, it's a day I'm not going to forget. And really great work that they all did to set that event up. 
Um, everyone involved with the Battle Hawks operation as well was very kind to us. And they don't get enough credit, all these people in the XFL. So shout out to them. And, and when those Battle Hawks come home in week four, we are in for a treat because of all the work that the marketing people have done. So kind of getting into a little bit of the game. If you didn't catch it on Twitter, I asked AJ McCarron after the game about the final moments, right? And to kind of run you through it, it was a roller coaster, just like every other Battle Hawks game. He throws a pick to Kentrell Bryce down 14. Excellent play. Acrobatic play by 2-9 on the sideline there. Um, he throws that, and having a third-string center finally reared its ugly head for D.C., Jordan Tamu can't control the snap on the one-yard line. So now St. Louis is right on the short porch. A.J. McCarron throws a touchdown pass to Stephen Mitchell. Beautiful ball. Right back to Mitchell on the two-point. They make it 34-28. And you're just thinking, here we go again. The Battle Hawks, only team in the league that's converted a fourth and 15. And, and they're comfortable. And they practice this. And they've got a, a quarterback who is more than capable after throwing a touchdown pass and completing a two-point conversion. So this time, Greg Williams wasn't having it. And that's what makes him the best defensive coordinator in the XFL. Davin Bellamy just blows by the tackle and gets home. And, and while he had AJ's legs trying to bring him down, Malik Fisher came in and, and finished the Battle Hawks quarterback off. And I noticed AJ kind of point to his head. You guys probably saw that on TV. He was not happy that no helmet to helmet was called in that situation. So I wanted to kind of walk through in the press conference what AJ thought about all that. So I asked him and, you know, Props to AJ, because after a sequence full of that much emotion, it's probably tough to collect your thoughts. But he is a professional, and he did answer our question as calm as he could. And he delivered a very careful monologue that you can go check out on Twitter if you want to see the whole thing. But he pointed to several calls throughout the game. Um, he pointed to a call in the first half that stalled their drive out. He said there was an intentional grounding by Jordan Tamu that was missed that uh, caused a D.C. field goal, and that's what actually D.C. went up 17-14 to 14 in the third because of it, so crucial three points there in a game that's so close. And then he talked about the helmet-to-helmet -helmet at the end and, and getting pile-drived into the ground, uh, which is what kind of sparked that whole scuffle. So he also mentioned that he hasn't been, you know, getting any defensive pass interference calls and that at pretty much every level he's played, you know, he's never been – had a problem you know if, if there's interference it's interference but he was mostly upset with the officials coming over to the sideline and I guess apologizing allegedly and Anthony Beck kind of confirmed that when we followed up with him but yeah just kind of a a very careful way to go about things for AJ but also get his message out there so I thought that was interesting I kind of leave it there and let you guys to react and, and see what you think but it was very interesting to hear his perspective um I'm grateful he opened up to us Here's why DC's 3-0. Fred Kice and Greg Williams are two of the best coordinators in the league. Great home run hires by Reggie Barlow. Phenomenal job that they're doing. And you got a guy like Reggie Barlow and the class that he shows and the leadership he provides. This is just a well-oiled machine. What a leadership group. I mean, they run the ball effectively. The short pass has been working, especially when they get inside the 10. Guys are just open. And the offensive line, tip my cap to them. The job that they're doing, it's incredible. 
with three starters hurt yet. So you play fast enough on defense, you get four takeaways. Michael Joseph, again, the pick six and the flip. Right down the same sideline that he did it against Seattle. Guys, this is why I moved D.C. up to one last week, and they proved me right. They play good on defense. They have exceptional coaching, and they just rise to the occasion. And I'll tell you what's going to happen. 5-0 and Houston against 5-0 and D.C. It's coming. Circle it on your calendar for Monday night, March 27th. I'm not looking too far ahead, I promise. I know. I looked at the schedule. D.C. has Vegas and St. Louis. That trip to St. Louis will be tough. I think D.C. inches out a close win there. And I think Houston goes to Orlando. And then they have Seattle. So it'll be tough in week five for both those teams to stay unscathed. I think they both will take care of business next week. But you could be at a point where you decide this on the field. And I don't have to worry about my power pole. Because whoever wins that game is going to get the number one spot. So that's, that's just where we're at with the D.C. defenders. They heard everything about how the offensive stats weren't there. The box scores were not impressive. And they went out and they just dominated on the ground again. You saw the rushing stats. They're leading the league in yards and touchdowns. Yards per carry could be better. And the fumbles, Ryquel Armstead has to clean that up. I think he had two, and Tamu obviously had the one right down on the goal line that could have cost D.C. the game. Have to clean up the turnovers. But for the job that offensive line is doing, have to shout out some of those guys. Uh, Liam Ryan, Liam Fornadale, T.J. Storman. You know, a lot of these guys filling in for the injured guys, like Jersey Mike Maietti and Ty Clary, doing a phenomenal job. A really great job by those six or seven guys up front. And that was D.C. delivering defeat to St. Louis. Uh, of course, like and subscribe to our channel. Again, that PS5 Pick'em starting to heat up here. 13 entries in there. Four for four a week gets you an entry. Don't miss out on that. And we had two more games. What a Sunday triple header. And as I'm on the car driving my way back from D.C. here to Studio Z, trying to listen in on the radio, I'm lucky I was driving. Because this one was a little bit of a snooze fest. And, and I love the XFL. But of the 12 games that we've had, this one was a snoozer. Um, I actually missed the Orlando under by one week. Remember, I played that as a best bet, San Antonio and Orlando under. This is exactly what I thought would happen in that game. They just waited a week. Um, I just This is when you snuck in your afternoon nap if you wanted to take one in between the D.C. game, which was exhausting doing all your day drinking, trying to keep up with the fans in section 137. You got a nap in here because it was just rough. Um, it still came down to the very end. So I hope you woke up by then because it was on the last possession that this game was decided. Um, I said pretty clearly last week, if you're going to play down to your, this Orlando team, they're just not in the same tier as the rest of the league right now. And if you're going to play down to them, you're going to be punished in the power rankings. And Arlington was an eight-point favorite in this game. I haven't seen the odds makers be that far off. In fact, with some of the totals and the numbers, like we saw Seattle minus four, right on the number, they've been super sharp, right, with some of these. Now, there has been advantages that we've been able to take advantage of here on Spring Ball Boulevard, but this one... 
I mean, if you had Orlando plus eight, hats off to you because the odds makers were way off here. I think just like me, they overestimated the Arlington Renegades, and, and they're just a letdown offensively. I don't care if it's Drew Plitt, if it's Kyle Sloter, if it's Mikey Manziel. They're eighth in pass yards. They're eighth in rush yards. They've scored three offensive touchdowns. And I got to give credit to Kyle Sloter because he did engineer that final drive that you just saw. That ended up putting them over the top and getting them the two and one. But similar to Vegas, Arlington just can't block for the running backs. They parted ways with Keith Ford. They bring Kenneth Farrow in. He was with them in training camp. That didn't matter. Davion Smith, no lanes to run through. I think he had 18 carries for 49 yards. They had less than 120 passing yards, 10 points. But defense wins championships, guys. Bob Stoops would tell you that. <laughs> and Arlington, what they do? They recovered another two fumbles. They, they lead the league in that by far. Jamaine Martin had a tough day for Orlando for as good as he's been this season. Uh, Jay Hayes, Tim Lewis, they deserve the game ball. Coaching some real freaks out there. Sankey, Donald Payne, Devontae Bosby, the boys up front. Keeping Arlington alive this season. And Orlando can't get out of their own way. We've said that all year. They, they cannot end the mental errors. Nine penalties. It's absurd. Every week, Orlando leading the league in penalties. You, you've got to get better. And, and they actually can't protect Paxton Lynch. Another four sacks. So that's not getting any better. And Lynch actually, he started to take off. And I don't know how mobile he is. We did see him run around a little bit when he was at Memphis. And he had a rushing touchdown in this one. But I don't think you want Paxton Lynch running around too much. I wouldn't necessarily consider him a dual threat at six foot seven. So he led the team in rushing 10 for 43 and a touchdown. You know, Orlando had all the Quentin Dormady distractions and the allegations that he was selling the playbook. You know, the league investigates it. They say, oh. We didn't find anything, so we reinstate him. Who knows what happened there, but I'm sure they heard all the noise. And the lone bright spot of this team just continues to be that defensive front seven. They have a lot of tackles for loss. They held an Arlington rushing game yet again. Terrence Smith, huge day for Orlando. But Arlington played their worst game of the three by far, which is crazy because they lost last week. They actually played a better game against Houston than they did against Orlando still find a way to come out two and one and the renegades just feel like that squad that's going to keep capitalizing on these turnovers and and scoring on defense kind of like the Iowa Hawkeyes of college football which is ironic because Chuck Long is the offensive coordinator the former Iowa Hawkeye so we make all kind of connections here on Springfall Boulevard um they have a steady kicker Taylor Russolino was great again Marquette King who's better than him in the league. He can flip the field. They might end up seven and three. I think I'll have them at six and four, but if they keep gritting out wins like this, who knows? They might steal a couple like they did here. Um, I did like that quarterback sneak on fourth and one. Uh, Mikey Manzella is going to have that for you in his breakdown tomorrow. Wow. They got like eight yards, just straight up the middle. Kyle Sloter driving the legs. Um, Jonathan and Jay Hayes, Chuck Long. Think about all these guys going into next weekend in the Battle Dome, as they call it. Devontae Lambert, Will Clark, Will Hill, Joe Powell, all former St. Louis Battlehawks in 2020. So some names that they'll know 
in St. Louis if they followed the team three years ago. Taylor Russelino and Marquette King, we just talked about them. They were St. Louis Battlehawks. So now they got to run up against Anthony Beck in that new regime next week. This has to be a statement game for Arlington. I think they've fallen off quite a bit from what people expected from them in the preseason. And that's kind of the same way it went in 2020, right? So Bob Stoops with some serious things to clean up. I assume they're going to stick with Kyle Sloter here because he now is the winning quarterback. Get the ball to Sal Canella. Have to. That short pass was working for D.C. against St. Louis. So foreshadowing a little bit of Thursday's preview, Arlington has to start throwing the ball more effectively. Again, only 120 passing yards. So that'll be an interesting one to see with the Arlington Renegades going to St. Louis as they open up at home. But Orlando Guardians dropped to 0-3, and uh, we'll see. Can they get a win? Where is the spot on the schedule where they can find a win? I don't know. It's not going to be next week with Houston coming to town. And, again, a lot of people thought, oh, well, Orlando's on the road here. No, they're not. They practiced in Arlington, guys. So this was actually a home game for them. And then they had that Charleston Rambo catch down the sideline. It's just that close. And if you're a Guardians fan, you're sticking with it, just trying to gut out that win. I think it'll eventually come once, but probably not more than that. Then we had our nightcap, the Houston Roughnecks holding on to beat the San Antonio Brahmas. Houston, that defense, Wade Phillips, the Phillips 3-4. I mean, this is the best defense in the league, right? For as good as DC and Greg Williams have been, man, that Houston defense won on this game. And what do both remaining undefeateds have in common? They're both 3-0 against the spread, Zook. So that's huge. Not just undefeated. Undefeated against the spread. So they're covering. But I want to know, how is Houston an under team? We bet their total over as a live ad in week two against Arlington. It, it, it couldn't get across the finish line. Here we go again. Zero second half points. If you're an over better, you're frustrated with Houston right now. And I got buried for moving D.C. above them last week in the power poll. But look at the box score, and you tell me how the best team in the league has zero second-half points. It's not realistic. This is how the second half went for Houston. Punt, interception, turnover on downs, punt, punt. It's not a championship team. You have to do better. You can't get conservative. I don't know what they did. But they got to be better than that. DC had their first half issues. I'd rather have first half issues than second half issues. And they're lucky Jamie Elizondo is on the other sideline with that bland oatmeal offense that, I mean, Jack Cohn was like 8 of 20 for 64 yards and a, a pick. Just not good offensive scheme from San Antonio in the second half either. But Houston has the best defense in the league. I think the numbers back that up. A.J. Smith with some work to do here. Um, At the end of the first half, I kind of point to something. Houston's up, what, I think 15. There's a minute 30 left. You got a timeout. You're on the plus 25? Or no, you're more towards midfield, but you had third and 17, right? So you have a chance. You have Brandon Silvers, who's been throwing the ball down the field, letting it fly the entire evening. So you got third and 17. Sling it. You got John Trey Kirkland. You got Deontay Burnett, Cedric Bird. Throw the ball. Why are you running the ball on third and 17? I I couldn't understand that play call. That is the definition 
of getting conservative, like we were talking about. And they ended up missing a 53-yard field goal. I guess they got a five-yard gain off the run, but it wasn't enough to put the kicker in range. Um, and they actually set San Antonio up in decent field position. Then they had a minute 30 left, almost from midfield. So, I don't know. I think A.J. Smith and, and that offense, they better take the defense out for dinner this week because they survived. Another incredible showing, like we said, from Brian Stewart's guys. We said San Antonio would have to avoid exactly what they did, which was getting conservative, right? Against St. Louis down the stretch, we saw them settle for a bunch of field goals. Well, we point to another spot in this game. Mid-third quarter, they had a fourth and five from the plus 25. They're down 15. You got to go for that. For as bad as Jack Cohn was statistically, you got to give the ball to your quarterback there. You cannot settle for a field goal and just go down 12. And they did. Credit Elizondo. Cohn threw to Vasher, and they drew a pass interference call from Harris. Hell of a play on the ball by Vasher to try to draw that, by the way. Um, and that set San Antonio up. They score a touchdown off it. So you have to, that aggressiveness pays off. You have to keep that going if you're the Brahmas. Can't be settling for field goals. Um, but, you know, Harris, great player, ended up getting one back on a just beautiful interception. I think The Rock tweeted about it. Just a great play. He was one-on-one with Vasher all night. And what a pick he made down the stretch in the fourth quarter. Best of the Boulevard nominee, AJ Harris. Um, C.J. Brewer, another one for that Houston defense. I mean, if you saw the fourth and goal, he just blew right through that San Antonio offensive line untouched to tackle Kalen Balage. But think about this weekend, guys. Four nail biters. All fantastic finishes. All the teams that were trailing had a chance to tie it or win it at the end of the game. Uh, In fact, outside of D.C. Vegas last week, and then Orlando getting thumped a few times, I think we had... 9 of 12 XFL games that come down to the final possession. That shows you a competitive league right there and some parity here. Um, back to this one, I was surprised Houston actually didn't have a sack until the very last drive when they got home to Cone. Um, I know San Antonio was banged up on the offensive line, but they had a couple guys back. The right guard and the right tackle were back here, so they've had all kinds of different combinations shifting through with those five. And they eventually caved. I mean, Houston was eventually going to get a sack, right? I just, I want to ask you guys something. Um, So tweet me or drop a comment in the chat or comment on the video, especially if you're from Texas. We want to hear your opinion on on the Houston Roughnecks and like what's going on here. Back-to-back weeks, they play Arlington, they play San Antonio, they triumph, big plays, the defense looks good. And, and just the attendance doesn't reflect it. I just want to know from a perspective of somebody that is from that area, maybe a Houston fan, you guys are bought in. I see you guys on television. And we want to bring the Boulevard Bowl tour there as well in the second half of the season. You guys are passionate. You got the whole lower bowl of TDCU Stadium filled. But wh- why is the number not there? Back in 2020, it was like 19,000. So is it just not enough time? To sell tickets? I know they had more time in 2020. Was it solely PJ Walker and Cam Phillips that were putting asses in seats three years ago? Or am I just completely off here? I just, I, I realistically want to know if Houston can get to that next level because 
if you add the crowd to what they already have going on there, being 8-0 and since 2020, you could have something seriously special in the XFL South. A lot of D.C. fans, as we mentioned, they come out because they're, they're sick of Dan Snyder and what the Washington football team has done. Now, while it's not as bad with the Houston Texans, you feel like there'd be that same sentiment. A rough couple of years for the Texans. So why are the Roughnecks not getting that same engagement as they were? I'm, I'm really curious, and we're going to learn more things and find out here down the stretch. Maybe I'm just completely off here. And there's something else going on. And they're going to draw the crowds. They're just going to come in April. This team is probably going to host a playoff game. And they have a stadium that sits, I think, about forty-five to 50,000 on the University of Houston campus. So the potential is there. I just want to see what the strategy is. I'm very curious as an XFL fan. Um, but it's a damn good football team. And it's a great organization. So looking forward to seeing the Houston Roughnecks pack that place in the future. On to our Boulevard Power Poll heading into week four. If you're on podcast, D.C. at one, Houston at two, St. Louis at three, Seattle at four. I'm going to explain, I promise. San Antonio at five, Arlington at six. No, it's not a typo. Yes, they are below two one and two teams. Las Vegas at seven, Orlando at eight. So let's go over it. A few notes here. Like I said earlier, the trolls on Twitter, they said I was a homer. Mikey Manziel has been in my ear. Look at you with the DC hat on. Of course, they're going to be number one in your poll. Another week, I'll have to explain it. DC and Houston, it really doesn't matter. Think of it this way. If this was played on a neutral field tomorrow, let's say at the Arlington Hub or in San Antonio for the championship game, it's a pick 'em. It's going to be a pick. Maybe if it's at D.C., it's like D.C. minus one. But it's so close. It's razor thin. I just don't think you can score zero points in the second half and be number one. But Houston has that potential because they're going to go to Audi Field on Monday night, March 27th. Manning cast. Let's get the Manning brothers. Let's get Pat McAfee on the sideline. If this is truly what I think it's going to be, Zook, 5-0 versus 5-0, ESPN needs to blow this thing out like they do NFL Monday Night Football. Because people want to watch football on Monday night. They're used to it. It's part of their routine. So I think if you have a matchup like that built into the schedule, you can't just put it on FX. You got to do something. Give us a Manning cast or a McAfee cast or something. Um, I'm definitely circling that date. Uh, St. Louis, what about those Battle Hawks? I I don't want to drop them. I think this is still a playoff team to me. They really fought hard against D.C. It's not going to be easy in that North Division with D.C., St. Louis, and Seattle. And when I was thinking about the poll today, putting it together, I came to the conclusion that that third-place team in the XFL North is likely going to have a better record then second place in the South. And I know we see that a lot in the NFL with the way that the divisions are aligned. And sometimes you get like a eight and nine team or, a, you know, back when they played 16 games, a seven and nine team would be in the playoffs just based on who wins their division. Could see the same here in the XFL. 
just three solid squads to me. I think three of the top four teams are in the XFL North. So who will get that playoff spot? I think it's between San Antonio and Arlington in the South. You know, what's it going to take? Six and four, five and five? I think the third place team in the North, if it's Seattle, I think I got over five and a half on their win total. So going to be some interesting cross-divisional games down the stretch. Um, so, like I said, with Arlington, I know they're, they're two and one, they're at number six, Seattle and San Antonio would both be favored over Arlington tomorrow. You saw St. Louis, they're a four point favorite against the Arlington Renegades. It's not your record that we look at here, folks. It's common opponents, it's metrics. And you look at the common opponents first between Seattle and Arlington. They both played Vegas. What do we learn? Arlington did not score a single touchdown on offense against the Vipers. Seattle drops 519 yards, 22 first downs, and 30 points. So what am I supposed to do? Pretend that because Arlington is 2-1 and one and Seattle's 1-2, and two, I'm supposed to pretend the Renegades are the better team? Absolutely not. We saw the San Antonio Brahmas whoop the Orlando Guardians. Arlington squeaks by by one point. So a common opponent there. The Houston games that they both played went very similar. 22-14 to 14 on one end, 22-13 to 13 last night. I still think San Antonio will be favored over Arlington. I, I, I'm shocked that I'm saying that. Because if you look at this poll before the season, at Arlington at 2 and San Antonio at 7. But it's shaken up big time. So you are what you are. And I've ranked Arlington above the two teams they beat. So you can't say it's unfair. They beat Vegas, they beat Orlando. That's their two wins. So there you are at number six until you beat somebody else and your offense has to prove something here because it's not it's not good right now for the Arlington Renegades. Tell you what was good though, our Boulevard best bets. We sat here, Zook, and we told you we'd get better. We're learning more. We're watching these games. We care. We're invested. And the books, there's holes. Right, they've been sharp. Like that Seattle number, you had to get it at the right time. Uh, DC covers again. Houston, it was back and forth. We we saw three and a half. We saw a four out there. You grabbed it at a four. Right here we are with San Antonio on the goal line with a chance to to blow the cover late for Houston. It, it's coming down to the end, but we are three and zero oh on Spring Ball Boulevard this week. That has brought us to what six for nine. As a show, so you combine Zook and I's record, 66%. That's a D in high school. That's an A. Oh, I'll give it a B. That's a B. If we get into the 70s, I'll give us an A. But 66%, pretty good to start. And as always, the record and the views and the opinions and the appearance and everything uh, that has to do with Mikey Manziel does not reflect Spring Ball Boulevard as an entity. Yeah, again... He he did go through a few boxes of tissues overnight. It's tough. He loves his Vegas Vipers. He wants to be there in the snake pit, and he can't get out there. And maybe that's the magic that they need. Once Mikey gets out there, maybe they just never lose again, or maybe they never win again. But again, Zook put him through a punishment. I said maybe they never win again. Well, you're right. They have never won. <laughs> Oh, see, I felt like they won that Arlington game, but they did not. Watching that whole game up until the very end, you really wanted to sneak out a win in that one, and it happened again. 
in the second half of that Seattle game. But um, Seattle minus three, what was that? A photo finish, but we got to the checkered flag. Um, Looking at the week four lines, I wanted to skim through them here, Zook, while we're here, while I have you. Um, St. Louis minus four at home against Arlington. That jumped off the board to me. I think that's sexy. And you got the over 36 and a half there too. That was Seattle. So running through them here, just to give you an idea of what I saw today. Houston, eight and a half point favorite at Orlando. That's a Saturday game. Seattle opens minus three. Jumps to minus four pretty quickly against San Antonio. Very quickly, like in an hour's time. So you know who's, you know, all the sharps are looking at numbers. And you got the number one total offense. And that's, that carries weight to the computers. So St. Louis, I'm going to make it an early lean. I lean St. Louis minus four and I lean the over there, 36 and a half, a bit low to me. Seeing kind of the back and forth that DC and St. Louis had, I think Arlington will finally score some points. Been waiting, right? Three offensive touchdowns this year, but I would like St. Louis minus four more than I would the over. There, uh, one we're missing. DC opens minus six uh, at home against Vegas. You were saying maybe a little bit of a trap spot. I I wouldn't say it was a trap spot. I would more describe it as Vegas has seen them already, right? And in a spot like that, you would normally bet the underdog because it can't get much worse than it did in week two for Vegas, right? So you'd look at the underdog there. I would never fade my DC defenders. And you already know what's going to be on my card. I'm never going to not play them until I lose. (laughs) But if you're looking for a completely unbiased approach and not just betting on who you love, bet on the St. Louis Battlehawks this week, minus four. We don't want that number to to climb too high on us. You don't like St. Louis? Oh, the D.C. Vegas game. Yeah, and that, that over-under, 41 and a half. It's asking a lot. That's a big number. That's the biggest total we've had open up this year. So, again, monitor these lines. We know that sometimes when we give you a best bet on a Thursday, maybe the number has changed a little bit. But, guys, that's betting. Uh, both sides and totals are always taking money, and you just you got to just take the number you like. I'm going to pause on St. Louis minus four because I like to see injury reports, like many of you. We're still learning in this league. Brian Hill was a big one. He came back, but he looked like he wasn't 100%. He scored a touchdown against D.C., but still looked like he was a little hobbled out there. Didn't have the type of game I thought he would. So things like that, the key players, you want to see if there's a a scratch, somebody who's out and is going to make an impact on the game. So, But if you like a number, you know, usually jump on that, pounce on that thing. So that's Spring Ball Boulevard here tonight. Thank you guys for joining us, all our live viewers, everybody who's watching our clips. Um, We're having a great time through the first three weeks. This is episode six. And boy, we got seven more weeks of XFL action to go. And it already feels like we're through an entire season with some of the um, coverage that we've had. And we've got three weeks of the Boulevard Bowl Tour under our belt. So for Mikey Manziel out in Vegas, you'll see him tomorrow up on YouTube. Don't forget to watch Man to Man. (laughs) You're going to love what you see this week. For Mikey Manziel, Chris Zook in the control room, I am Matty Fresh. Remember, there is no such thing as football season. We'll see you Thursday. Thanks, guys.